Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here, isn't it? Good to be worshipping God. David and the team, thank you so much. Really felt like we met with God this morning in different languages as well. Fantastic. Um, I'm not going to do a big uh, pre or overview of what we've been through so far. I want to get straight into what I've got for this morning. And I do want to start by thanking Andy uh, for giving me this passage that we've got today. I could go for a cheap laugh, uh, which I'm going to go for, and say, cheers, Andy, for this one. Once we get going, you'll understand why. Um, I've had to really seek God. I genuinely, Andy, thank you, because I've had to really seek God for this morning to find out what can, we, what can we mine from these verses? What can we learn from these verses? It's really exercised me. And as I say, as we get going, you're going to see why. I want to give a few just brief kind of uh, framing statements. I want to say that this passage we get to look at today is difficult to read as Western believers, with a pretty comfortable walk with Jesus. We live in a country that at present largely recognizes our faith and tolerates us as part of the religious conversation. We can register as charities and enjoy the benefits of that. We can hire public buildings and openly hold outreaches in town. Things may slowly change in that regard, but right now, we do enjoy our freedoms. I think you'd agree with that. We also live at a time when expressing ourselves, being our true us, is paramount. We therefore speak up and speak out. And as long as we are broadly in line with the social narratives, we're going to be applauded and accepted. And we also live at a time in the UK where the concept of any authority is considered dangerous due to the abuses of power that we've seen over hundreds of years. So when we read today's passage, we're going to see how this will not sit well with our cultural perspectives. Add to that that the passage also speaks to servants, which is translated slaves in other, uh, other places, and we could have a good reason to dismiss this piece of Scripture as having nothing to teach us now, something that was purely contextual, and not relevant for today's more informed societies. I want to say that we need to read this with the understanding that this is written to believers who are suffering. Not to the powers that be in order to keep their subjects or servants under control. This is important as these verses have been used as abuses in the past. So I'm going to read the passage. Then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get to work. So we're in 1 Peter 2, 13 to 21. 1 Peter 2, 13 to 21. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, 
not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures suffering, uh, sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. Father, I, I want to thank you that we get to have the word of God in our hands. I want to thank you that we get to enjoy all the passages that we'll return to time and time again and enjoy spoken over us and preached on. I thank you also you have verses like this which we may just pass over quickly because we don't really know what to do with them. And I pray this morning that you would speak to us as a church and as individuals about how we should respond as we read things like this. Father, give me grace. Give me an anointing this morning to help convey what you've given to me for us as a dear church today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 So friends, I've entitled this morning, Really? Really? As I think this is, could be a natural reaction to what we've just read. And I want to start just by looking at verses 13 to 17. I've kind of framed this under a kind of subheading citizenship. So Peter is calling these exiles to live as citizens in a culture that is extremely hard due to the prevailing suspicion and hatred of Christians. To live in the Roman Empire was to live under the emperor, the ultimate power. Everyone was effectively a, a servant of the emperor, subject to his authority. And to make sure his authority was played out, he had governors that were sent to regions to administer his law and his order. Think for this moment as we approach Easter, Pontius Pilate. He was a governor of a region. And in all this, Christians weren't trusted because the Romans believed their success and empire was built on the foundation of pleasing the gods that they worshipped. And Christians weren't going to bow to these gods. They bowed to only one god, and that was Jesus. They refused to bow to anyone else. So it upset the peace and the harmony. And so the Romans were suspicious and didn't like it. Nero, in particular, didn't like him. And that's the emperor at the time. So against this backdrop of these, this regime that doesn't like Christians, Peter says to them, be subject to all institutions for the sake of the Lord. You may not have liked how Boris handled all the stuff around COVID. Mr. Johnson, as I should probably call him to honor him. You may not agree with all his decisions. But he has, we have been called by scripture to to honor him. Peter isn't saying be subject to the emperor because the emperor or the governors are worthy of following. But he says it's for the sake of the Lord. There's something about the sake of the Lord that is uh, at hand here that needs, we need to listen to it. And he goes on later to explain that. He says, the will of God, the will of God is that by doing good in these circumstances, 
You should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. To be clear here, Christians do not submit to anything that takes us away from worshipping our God and Him alone. Now, so we saw that in Daniel, didn't we, last term? He made a stand. Went to a lion's den because of it. His friends went into fiery furnaces because of it. They did make a stand, but they were being told not to worship their God. However, Peter does say that we can live as exiles in foreign cultures, which is how we find ourselves now. We can live in those cultures with such good lives, helping, loving, caring, going the extra mile, turning the other cheek, forgiving, so on and so on. That if we're going to be accused of any wrongdoing, let it be for love and devotion to the triune God and our obedience to his word and nothing else. Peter acknowledges to these exiles that they are people who are free, but only because they are servants of God, slaves of God, slaves to righteousness. We hear in other bits of the Bible. So we know well, if we've been around church for any amount of time, that being free as Christians doesn't mean we are now free to do whatever we want. It means we are free to follow God and to worship Him. We are free from the power of sin. We are free from the power of death over us. We are free from the power of the devil. But we are slaves to our master, Jesus We are free to use our freedom to do good. And then Peter tells us what it looks like to do good. Honor everyone. So when you think about our, our friends, our neighbors, the people at work, people you don't get on with, the people that you don't click with, the people you think might be a bit of a nuisance, be easier not to have them around. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. We heard Andy speak last week magnificently about the church. We're to love our brothers and sisters. Again, whether you would choose them to be your brothers and sisters or not, God has chosen them to be your brothers and sisters. So we love the brotherhood. We fear God. Good citizenship looks like fearing God. So it means that we will worship no other but him. We will take seriously his word over our lives. Our fear is not one of cowering in a corner, but one of awe and wonder. And we honor the emperor. How easy it is at times to speak ill of our government. In passing, in jest, laughing at that joke. Actually, we're called to honor. This is what citizenship looks like, according to Paul, uh, Peter. A friend of mine, Pastor Paul, a Christian pastor in Uganda, there's a picture of him coming up now, a mighty man of God, was present when Idi Amin's forces stormed church buildings, opening fire on congregations at will. He was placed in prison on more than one occasion for his faith, and he doesn't find it easy to talk about his experiences there. I wonder how he would have read this passage. 
How he and his brothers and sisters had to work out what it looked like to honor everyone, in particular their ruler, Idiomi. They did love each other, and they did support each other. They did fear their God. That I know to be true, the way he speaks. But here's the truth. That pastor is still pastoring. He actually pastors a whole network of churches across Uganda. People are still turning to God under his ministry, and Idi Amin's regime is nowhere to be seen. Even if we think back to Jesus, Jesus came into this world as a Jewish guy under oppressive, brutal Roman Roman rule. He lived as a citizen of Rome and in that respect was open to even paying his taxes, even if it did come from a fish's mouth. And honoring that particular regime. Do you remember? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Even his death honored the system in which he was born in so much as it was a Roman governor who had to sanction his death. Other wannabe messiahs wanted to incite a revolution against the Romans, and I think that's what everyone was expecting the Messiah to do, wasn't it? To overthrow Roman rule, to bring back the the, the mighty nation of Israel. Jesus came to incite a revolution in our hearts and our attitudes. And this is what this passage calls for. And it's as countercultural now as it was then. Friends, let us live such good lives. Not perfect lives, that's reserved for Jesus. But lives where we repent of our wrongdoings and seek forgiveness. Lives where we take seriously the meet the street stuff that we're being encouraged to go for where we want to show our love and honoring of our neighbors, of our work colleagues, of our teammates on our football or or basketball teams, whatever it might look like, our friendships at the school gates. As we live this exiled life far from our home in heaven, in this increasingly alien culture, we know it is the will of God to live such good lives that when we do have to make that stand for Jesus and refuse to bow to the gods of this world, Our devotion to God and his word is all they can accuse us of. Really? Peter really saying this? Yes. Yes, he is. This is what we're called to. Now, I want to take us a moment. Just, I'm going to have a little break uh, because I need to get a quick drink. No, it's not that. I want you to have a quick turn and learn, talking to the person next to you. And I just want you to think, where do you think you're going to be able to do good this week? You you may know what your week is looking like. You know someone you might be coming into contact with. You know that person at the office. You know that person at the school gate. Whatever it might be, where do you think you can do good this week? So turn and just have a quick, quick moment together.
Well, if that wonderful noise in the room is anything to go by, we are going to have some blessed neighborhoods, workplaces, schools, universities this week, as you've now committed. Maybe, maybe you'll be able to follow up with that person next week and just say, hey, how did it go? Find them in the room. We all like a bit of accountability, right? So maybe you think, Scott, did you just exaggerate a bit at the beginning when you were giving your preamble? Guys, if you didn't think that was hard enough for what Paul was saying to us, we're now moving on to something else. Uh, We're moving into verses 18 to 20. I'm not going to read them again. They're up on the screen. You can see them. But if if we are effectively, if, if all were effectively servants of the Roman Empire then, there were those who were considered lower still. And that was the servants or the slaves, as the word is also translated, that were around in the households. As we read this now in the light of the last couple of years, we might be thinking that word slave evokes all the kind of emotion of the transatlantic slave trade that ran for some 400 years. For some of us, maybe when we hear that word now, we... Think of the statue in Bristol being torn down and and thinking, what do I think about that? Or the uncomfortable realization of our white privilege. For others, that word slave may invoke the memories or the stories of our relatives. These verses have been used to justify the oppression of generations of human beings living in degradation, suffering, and slavery. These verses were used by rich whites to keep their slaves in check. It was evil, it was unjust, and it was abhorrent that the Bible should be used in that way or anyone should be treated that way. And even when we consider the slaves that are being spoken of in the passage... We can often hear that, well, slavery was different then. They were valuable members of the household. They contributed to the family and society as a whole. But there are moments in this passage as we read it through that make it clear that slavery, even back then, was as evil as it was during the transatlantic slave trade. When you're beaten, and let's be honest, that evil continues today. It still happens now. Imagine the Christian woman who sits in her basement room with ten other women, all of whom, for whatever reason, find themselves in the hands of the evil that now incarcerates them until it's time for them to come to perform on camera for the pleasure and entertainment of men and women who watch their porn blissfully unaware of the heroin she is injected with on a daily basis to keep her compliant. She still holds on to her faith in Jesus. It's the only thing that gets her through every day. Friends, there is still slavery today. And we, like God, do not condone it. We're appalled by it, and rightly so. Just to say, if you do watch porn, 
stop. It's not harmless. It is dangerous and damaging to you and even more to those who either willingly or most likely unwillingly are forced to take part. And if you're struggling in this area, please come and see me at the end. Send a text, send an email, whatever you're going to feel comfortable with to get going on stopping using this. If you are a female in the room, you might not find it appropriate to send it to me. You can send it to B or to Liz. And they will help you on this journey. Friends, these verses were written for people like her. And to all those who have gone before her, for her in whatever slavery they have faced. To let her know she too gets to take her place in this great story of Christ. Her circumstances do not preclude her from the purposes of God, from the faithfulness of God, from the love of God. She is no less loved or chosen of God. He will sustain her and lift her on that final day, even though now she suffers. She, like all of us, is called to a patient endurance. Just as the servants in our passage, she still has the dignity of the same calling to represent God even in her suffering. Now, of course, we want this woman and all like her to be rescued, don't we? We want her to be loved and we want her to be cherished. We want her to know freedom. The point of this is that Peter is saying all these things are already true. She has been rescued by Jesus. Not from her circumstance, but from separation from God into a relationship of love with Him. It doesn't seem very loving to us, does it? A follower of Jesus in slavery in this way? It's abhorrent. Can God really be loving? Well, yes. She is loved and cherished by her Father in heaven and by her big brother, Jesus. Here's a question for you. Is the love and the faithfulness of God displayed in a middle class lifestyle of comfort, health, married with children, suburban life? Is that what it looks like to express the faithfulness and the love of God? Is that the only expression of it? Well, friends, sometimes if you listen to me, you might think that's true. Because that's my reality that I live in. And that's my context. And so that's what I live out of. But it's not what I believe. The love of God was ultimately expressed in an act of execution and brutal torture. I may be middle class living as I do, but that's not because God loves me more than anyone else. It's got nothing to do with his love or his blessing. I'm no more loved nor blessed than her. I just might have been given the resources and responsibility of helping people like her. We are both equally loved as expressed by the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We cannot be loved any more than we were at the cross or any less. It was the ultimate expression of love. 
Jesus laid down his life of righteousness so that we get to pick up our, and late picks up our life of sin. So we get to pick up his life of sin. Oh, you know what I'm trying to say. Jesus laid down his life of righteousness and picked up my life of sin so I could lay down my life of sinfulness and pick up his life of righteousness. That's love. Then he says, I'll dwell with you in the hardest and most abhorrent times of life and I know what it feels like. I know what it feels like. I can enter into your pain. I can know you. He was mocked, he was beaten, he was tortured, he was humiliated, as these slaves would have been. And you can say, I know. I know. And all this is so she can know freedom from her own sin. The freedom to forgive the sin of others against her. The freedom to know God and to know relationship with him. Friends, she does know freedom. She does know love. She is cherished by her Father in heaven. She has been rescued by Jesus. He just doesn't look like our expression of that. And she is called into this great life of following God and patient endurance. Now these verses are deeply troubling for me and I'm guessing for you. Does Peter really write these things and expect people to suck it up and do it? Can't we just pass it off as context, outdated, move on? No. Because all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. We don't get to pick and choose, but we do get to wrestle with this stuff. Wrestling it through with God, with others, and seeking after him and saying, what are you saying to us now through this? There's a couple of contexts I could bring here, a couple of ways of landing this in our worlds. Maybe you find yourself in slavery to some sort of sin or, or, or person who's keeping it. Maybe it's a relationship Maybe it's a situation or a circumstance. You find yourself as a slave to that. This passage is for you. God knows you are suffering. He says, while you're suffering, let there be patient endurance. Trust in the faithfulness of God that we've been singing about this morning. He will come through. Even if it is on your final day, as you get to meet him and he says, good and faithful servant. Maybe you've got that boss at work who is a hard taskmaster. You've been treated, you have been treated unfairly. Maybe that person makes every effort to make your life a misery. It's one thing to be corrected for something you've done and face the music for it. It's a whole other ballgame to, to suffer for something even when you have done good and still be patient and honoring of your boss. But it is what Peter is calling us to here. I've just said an awful lot of stuff. I just want to pause for a moment.
God is not indifferent about suffering. But he's with us in the midst of it. And it's all in the light of Christ. As we come to land in this passage, we get to verse 21. And he says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. When Peter says you have been called here, I don't think he's saying it in this moment that we are called to suffering. Although all of us will suffer in some way at some point in time, and we may be called to suffer for our faith. But rather, in this moment, he's calling us into how we handle suffering. And that's because it's a continuation of the previous sentence. We're called to handle suffering as Christ did with faithful, patient endurance. And the rest of these verses uh, about submission to authority in our Bibles are going to go on to unpack how Jesus endured suffering. And Sarah gets the great honor of preaching those verses next week. But for today, I want to finish with just a couple more comments around suffering. Suffering is not as a result of sin or of anything the slave or his family have done wrong. Suffering is something we will all go through for whatever reason. At the hands of other people, sickness, maybe death, the devil, or even ourselves. But the point is, in this verse, it points to the fact that Christ suffered. I've alluded to it already. When we suffer for anything, we follow in his footsteps. Jesus, the sinless Savior, came into this world as a servant, we read in Philippians 2. I wonder if that was in Peter's mind as he was writing this. He comes as the suffering servant, we read in Isaiah 53. I definitely think this was in Peter's mind when he was writing this. Friends, are you suffering right now? Then you're like Jesus. And we are going to see more of that this week. But as we start to land this week, we need to see that suffering is all part of the Christian life. Jesus' love is not expressed through the middle class lifestyle, comfort, and plenty. It's expressed in his death on a cross. In his suffering for us and therefore when we suffer we join our master and our saviour in his suffering. True freedom isn't a glass of wine and a good Netflix box set. Or being able to write what we want about our opinions on social media or expressing in ourselves in letters to our MPs because we're free to do it. That's not what it is. True freedom is knowing God And not having sinful attitudes and actions control your life. No matter what you face. That's freedom. I needed to remember this yesterday as I was driving to and from London. I still think I'm the best driver in the world. I still think I've got the, the, you know, all the skills that no one else seems to have. And yet I'm the one that's always in the wrong, it seems. So there's got to be a thing there, right? There's a sinful attitude in me that still needs work. And many of you have heard me preach who have known this for years. I I bring it up every now and again. God is doing a work on it in me. He's still doing a work on it in me. We are all slaves, whether it be to sin or to Christ. 
To be a slave of Christ means to display his attitude when found in suffering. That is to honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor, and continue in patient endurance. Really? 21st century Reading people, Redding Indians, really? Yes, really. We're going to stand to sing in a few moments. So if the band can come up. And the song we're going to sing is Yes and Amen. As we land this morning, we, we want to have our eyes lifted back up to our master, don't we? Don't we? Don't we need to know that as we take seriously these verses that he is the one that is the uh, everlasting arms that are underneath us. He is the faithful one who, who whatever he has said, his promises are yes and amen. Don't we, need to, don't we need to know that? If we are suffering in this life now, and if you're not, you will at some point. We need to know he's got us, don't we? So as we stand now, and as you ready yourself at home to sing again, I just want you to say to God, I will trust you. You don't necessarily what that, know what that means right now. But just say, I will trust you. And Father, I pray as we sing this song this morning, that as you have lifted our eyes from ourselves into a world we don't necessarily understand, foreign regimes that are calling something out of us that we can't live up to or, or slavery that we don't fully get. Father, I pray when these moments hit us, when suffering hit us, we'll be those who say but we have a faithful God who loves us and has called us to do good and to patient endurance in these times and in these moments. As we lift our eyes to you now and we sing our, our yes and our, that your, your answers are yes and amen. Father, I pray that your spirit would move across this room and would quicken our hearts to your son Jesus and to you and to the reality of the world that we're living in now. Help us be those who represent you well, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.